0: I'm a big fan of getting people to master the camera first more than having more slides. Yeah, for sure, slides are are really valuable in some cases, but virtual presenting has made people rely upon them even more than face-to-face presenting did.
1: Hey there, and welcome to yet another episode of the World of Presentations podcast brought to you by us at Presentation Agency 356ups. I'm Boris, the founder of the company and your host for this episode. And today we have a colleague of ours who is a presentation skills and a storytelling trainer. Rob Willis works with companies from all over the globe and gives their teams the tools they need to communicate effectively. I personally stumbled upon Rob's work on LinkedIn and we immediately connected through our passion for presentations and now, uh, it's time for me to ask him some, I would say, quite cool questions uh, that I'm sure will help you, as the listener, elevate your presentations once again. Rob, welcome to the podcast. Hi, Boris. Good to be here. Let's start with a little bit of intro about you. Tell us a little bit about yourself.
0: Well, as you so rightly but across. i'm a presentation skills and storytelling trainer and i work primarily with companies in the tech and fintech branches mostly rapid growth i use stories and story driven communications as a better way to connect with their clients but also work internally and motivate teams
1: as well all right that was short and sweet <laughs> so, <laughs> so rob there was something very interesting when we were discussing the podcast. You said that mm. you draw most of your inspiration about public speaking from the theory of marketing. Now, yes. how about that, tell us more about it. Mm. There are two books that I read, which were really
0: a game changer for me. The first was called "Building a Story Brand" by Donald Miller. He also owns uh, runs a company, which I believe is now called. Business Made Simple. But it all started with this story brand theory. And the other was called Made to Stick by Dan and Chip Heath. And what I found about marketing is that as speakers, we're trying to do the same thing as marketers, in that we're trying to persuade people, and we're trying to show value to them. We need to get their attention. We need to show them a better way of doing something. And we need to show them that that is the right path for them. And a speech needs to do exactly the same thing and needs to consider exactly the same things as well. As so, particularly Don Miller, uh, I really like his perspective of making your customer or in our case, your audience, a hero figure and acting as a guide to them. And it's our job to understand what the hero wants and what their problem is. And until you can define those two things, you have no way of knowing how to get them to the point that you want them to. So that's why, for me, marketing is such a powerful resource to draw from in any kind of communication. All
1: right. That is like that being said about the hero and you knowing who they are and where they want to go. Obviously, in our world, that means, hey, you need to know the audience. Yeah, for sure. you need to know your audience. There was a little bit, and when you work with your customers and your clients, mm-hmm. how do you approach and what do you do with them so that they understand who their their audiences would be? Like, what are those practical things that you ask them to do or you help them do so that you get a better sense of mm-hmm. who are they speaking to? I think the first thing just to say is that
0: when, and you might find this too, when you bring these questions to people, like considering the audience. Often people have never stopped to think about that in the first place. They thought, okay, I've got to deliver this presentation. I've not got much time. Let's just get it done. And they're not even thinking about that audience. So I think simply just making people disciplined about, okay, who are we talking to? That's already a big step that can put people way ahead of of everyone else. But after that, there are ways you can cultivate this further and there's two main parts i think either you can just use plain empathy so if you kind of know the people or you know people who are like them you can just put yourself in their shoes and try and imagine them and and who they are and there's some exercises you can do to to really bring that out um you can ask yourself questions like first of all what is their problem we spoke about this already but then a very powerful question to add on to that is is the problem you're defining, just the opposite of the solution that I'm offering. Because I've, I don't know about you, I've found this. I say, I want to sell presentation skills training to people. And I'll, I will could say, oh, yeah, my their problem is, is they don't know how to give presentations well. That's not their problem. Their problem is that their clients aren't engaged. Their executives don't understand what they're being told by data analysts. This is what we have to unearth. Then you need to go a step further, put it in some more tangible terms, really need to get it to the point where you can understand how that person would describe this problem if they were just talking to their mate in a pub, basically.
1: All right, so So do you see with your
0: customers, you were about to say something, go ahead. Yeah, I'm just saying, And the one way you can leapfrog that entire process is if you know someone who knows them really well, just ask. (laughs) That's the second way that you can get to this and and, and a
1: really easy thing to do absolutely agree i mean i always say that one of the channels where you can find information about your audience is actually the people around you right Mm -hmm. because if you just think about it it's either your like closest friends colleagues sometimes your family and i always because i have seen it in action (laughs) i always say that those people if you ask them for information they sometimes have information that's not public even right oh yeah for sure yeah because like you can find a lot of information for example on the web Mm -hmm. right for somebody if you know their names however what somebody will tell you about their closest friend let's say Mm -hmm. will be potentially very very different and so it may turn out to be invaluable you know like it could be so so precious
0: yeah yeah it's actually completely right what you're saying if you're talking to a close friend you're also getting a different perspective because we're not just interested in an external problem There's always an internal element to that so another question you can ask yourself is what keeps my audience up at night and it'll be different i mean you can a a cfo will have a very different worry to a cmo and you need to understand that if you're going to talk to them skillfully for sure
1: and obviously the finance person will have completely different issues that they are uh, faced with compared to the cfos right i mean It is very different story for those otherwise very similar roles. Being on yeah. the ceiling is completely different than just being one of the people that runs the, or all or runs the daily operations. Anyway, understanding the audience is obviously absolutely critical. Do you see your customers actually doing that? Do you see them spending enough time on it? Or do you see people just trying to go through that presentation and consider it over? Well... It's the kind of thing that you don't need to do that many times. I think
0: it's generating this awareness is a big upfront cost of time. You need to go through this process and really define your audience's external and internal problems. But you'll probably find that you're only talking to three or four types of people regularly. So it could be your boss, one person, or it could be, I am talking to people in procurement in this kind of company. And so you develop kind of avatars. And you can add to them and build upon them. And once you've done that initial upfront work, then really you don't need to do much more. All
1: right. Do you see? By the way, because I get asked a lot. Even today, I got asked by the. Um, there is some sound, right? Do you hear that? <laughs> it's yeah. like from somebody. I don't know whether or not people hear that. It's like a, a church or something like this. But it started like. 10 seconds 15 seconds ago hopefully people will be like who cares (laughs)
0: it'll be be uplifting spiritual man
1: (laughs) absolutely so let's move on so do you see i got i'm getting asked very often hey Mm -hmm. but what do i do when in my audience there are when in my audience there are people who are on different roles right Mm -hmm. so how do i adapt and how do i make sure that my presentation will still engage them like how do you approach this And do you you get asked that one?
0: Yeah, it's a question I've been asked before. And of course it depends on the kind of presentation you're delivering. Uh, If you're delivering a pitch, let's say you're delivering a pitch at a big event and there are a group of investors and you want to get investment. Does it matter if all of the other people running startups understand and care about your pitch? No, it only matters what the investor will think. So you can prioritize. That's one thing you can do. You can also try and play to several audiences, but the problem with that is you are diluting the effect because you need to think about your language and the things you're talking about. And there's never that much enough time to say what you want to say anyways. If you're trying to speak to too many people, it becomes very, very difficult. But But if you've got very mixed uh, audiences, it's unlikely you need that focus to presentation anyway. If it's a general motivational speech, um to people in business, then you can remain fairly fairly broad in some ways perhaps. Yeah.
1: That is by the way a great lesson here. I mean every single presentation is potentially something that you are going to deliver in front of different audiences and sometimes depending on what you want to achieve you have people in the room that Mm you should not care about that much right they are not going to help you achieve your goal right Mm -hmm. and as you said especially with startups we had those cases where in the audience we had 800 people right yeah but the people that are going to tell you whether or not you're getting the money are two or three people yeah when we're chasing the money who do we want to influence well, exactly. it's not the 800 people. There was
0: a wonderful article I read a couple of weeks ago called 1000 True Fans. How about just 100? Because 1000 True Fans, if you ever heard of this um, article, it was a famous article saying, really, if you have 1000 people who are prepared to spend $10 per month on you, you can live off that. Absolutely true. But you could also take a tenth of that number. And if they're spending $100 on you per month, you can achieve the same thing. So I think the trend is going to be towards much more focused communication, uh, both in the business space and in the YouTube thought leader space as well. And that means people get more value, um, but for a higher cost, of course. Yeah, of
1: course. All right. So when you're approaching a presentation with somebody or are the people that are listening to this one, they have to be delivering presentations more or less on a weekly, okay, let's say monthly, but sometimes for some of them weekly for some of them daily <laughs> mm-hmm. so yeah, sure. what do you advi- how do you approach this like they talk to us a little bit about structure talk a little bit about hey what do we include in that presentation so that it works so that it resonates mm-hmm. with the audience now that we know the audience how do you approach it with your customers so that people that are listening can just more or less copy paste your ideas. (laughs) Yeah, you
0: want to have a a process that you can follow and you can rinse and repeat lots and lots of times. Because if you start from scratch, then it's going to be a disaster. Say, let's say you're asked to give a presentation tomorrow. Not much time whatsoever. You've got to get everything right. The first thing I would say you need to think about is you need to define your call to action. So that one thing that your audience are actually going to do, not think that they're actually going to do. Uh, now, this has to be a relatively small thing. It can't be like, if you like my my five-minute presentation, please invest 30 million pounds right now because people it's too much. Is it book a meeting with my team? Is it put a date in the calendar? Is it download a, an app? That's the kind of thing people can do. And once you've defined that, you've focused yourself so much. You know exactly what kind of thing people need to know in order to take that action. And you can also focus what they have to hear to be persuaded to do it. So that's step one, create a call to action. Step two, I would just take a predefined structure for persuasion. Um, there are lots out there online. You know, There's structures to persuade, inform, educate, and so on. Find one and, and just, just copy it. I've got one on, on my website as well. Like that, it, that's really the kind of thing I wouldn't bother thinking too creatively about. Uh, even pop songs follow song, verse, chorus, verse, chorus. Like just, just follow a structure that works. And that makes it a lot easier to paint by numbers, and you know exactly how much information you have to put in. There. And then what I would do, if I, if I knew what I, how much I could say in, in my structure, and I knew what action I want them to take, I then think about my message. Now you might hear the term message defined as a central idea. You might hear it described as a thesis or what Joel Swartzberg calls it the point in his book, Get to the Point. But it's essentially just one sentence, 10 words or fewer that Sums up the whole presentation. And if your, your, your boss is rude and they just say, okay, what's the point of this? You can just say that sentence and, and they know exactly what you want to say. Now there are lots of different ways to put these messages together. I think it's important to be clear rather than being clever. And one, yeah, and you know, it is sometimes if people really punchy, but it's always bland. It's like a new vision for the future. What, what does that mean? I, I think a good way to construct it is to think of, your solution and plus their success if you can sum up what your solution is and their success in the sentence then they pretty much know everything they need to to take the action because that's yeah. step three you've got your message
1: yeah I think um, you do you have more let's go yeah the other ones are, are, are,
0: are pretty short and they're more practical things um four make it shorter than it needs to be like 10 15 minutes is more than enough like five simplified notes, just some bullet points so you can orientate yourself. Six, leave off PowerPoint if you can and make it as simple as you can because that is what takes the most time I find for people. And seven, practice. Just do a couple of rehearsals. That will do a lot more for you than sweating over your computer keyboard looking
1: at a blinking cursor. Yeah, let's talk about by the way that one like the last one practice because i remember i i don't know if you but i'm also an nba mm-hmm. fan let's say because i was playing basketball like mm-hmm. 15 years ago even more wow that is way 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 in the past anyway but there was this player alan iverson who got caught in a situation where um during interviews he was constantly saying you are talking about practice because i'm not coming to practice and you're talking about practice and i'm the best player in the league Etc. Mm-hmm. he was because he was keeping the trainings It was like you're talking about practice to me <laughs> so let's talk about practice how important is it you said that it will save i was about to say something very uh, brutal uh, but you say you said that practice and rehearsals will make your life easier talk mm-hmm. let's talk a little bit more about that part because i think it just never gets old, you know, uh, the more you say it and the more people I think say say it, hopefully more people will say to themselves, wait a minute. If I have listened to 40 or 50 episodes on this podcast and 150 in total of other presentation podcasts and everyone is talking to me about rehearsing, maybe that's important. You no, know, I, yeah, I, I figured it out. Maybe they have, they have like... They have a point, you know? Yeah. So let's talk about practice. Yeah, yeah. No, it's, it's so
0: important. I mean, if you rehearse with someone, let's take, take a step back. When you deliver your presentation for real, that should not be the first time that you've said it out loud. Yeah. I think we need to just accept that. Let's agree on that. Yeah, let's agree. Let's agree on that. And rehearsals with friends and colleagues will, first of all, help you understand what bits aren't clear. Um, and you can, you don't even need them to tell you sometimes. Sometimes you just say something and you feel a bit awkward because you kind of think, does that make sense? So that's one thing. It really just shows you what makes sense and what doesn't. And the second is that it builds up experience. And are you a fan of Malcolm Gladwell. Yep. Yeah. And in Outliers, he talks about the fact that talent actually only gets you so far. The single defining fact in how good you are at something is the number of hours you have practiced. I think the same thing goes... public speaking as much as any skill
1: yeah i would say that sometimes when you say that when you're rehearsing you sometimes Mm -hmm. find what's not what's clear and what's not clear i would say that when i'm rehearsing most of the times i rehearse by myself and not Mm -hmm. with colleagues or friends or um, the team here even though i have done that too but even when i'm when i'm alone in a hotel back in the past, when we were yeah. going to hotels and stuff like that, even when I'm at home and rehearsing something that's super important, I try to say something, and it just is just not there. You know, like I'm yeah, like yeah. I I go to, and say to myself, "Wow, that's not ready yet." I mean, yeah. even I don't understand myself. Like, <laughs> <laughs> that is i don't know if that happened to you but especially especially for especially for some presentations that are brand new right new mm-hmm. content new stuff that you're about to be presenting you're going through it for the first time yeah oh so you you mm-hmm. say something out loud because again rehearsing is all about you doing it in the same way as you're going to do it in front yeah. of the audience. And I, I have called myself saying something that's so illogical or stupid or doesn't make sense at all. And I was like, okay, let's go back again. <laughs> let's go back. Let, let, let me try again. And yeah, I mean, even without people around you, you can find yourself in those situations, right? At least I have found myself in those situations. I don't know about you.
0: No, man, I feel the pain. I feel the pain. Uh, I also find that I list things in bullet points and it looks kind of cool. I think, yeah, that's going to be awesome. And then I try and say it out loud, and it feels so awkward and so stumbling. I cannot say that. So you need to actually say it. That's how you uh, you learn to, to think and how to express ideas. Uh, which reminds me actually of uh, another thing which I think is a good idea, which is to constantly be putting things into your own words. Um, I recently started using a, a scheme of note taking called the Zettelkasten system. If you've ever heard of it, it was developed by some crazy German sociologist in the seventies and it comprises of basically atomic notes, little ideas on cards. And you can provide links between them. There are programs that do that nowadays. But what makes it work is that for each of these cards, it has to be in your own words. So you get, you get used to putting things into your words. And if you can't do it, you need to keep at it until it eventually works. And that's what I find great speakers do is they're essentially repeating a few ideas over and over again. Like if you look at Gary Vaynerchuk talking on, and he pretty much does everything impromptu, but it's also not really impromptu because he's just repeating little fragments and sound bites that he's used in other kinds of interactions over and over again. And that's why he sounds so
1: fluent. Yeah. I mean, especially Gary, I think, I think that for some people, when they get to a specific point, to a specific moment in their careers, when they have so much, so much experience in their field, they -hmm. can get in any moment on any stage and deliver a great presentation. Even though I always think, and I always, like, I still believe that if, and obviously there are exceptions to the rule, maybe That one won't work for Gary or for, let's say, Simon Sinek or whoever, right, at all. But I still believe that if those people that otherwise can deliver a crazy, crazy, engaging and influential and successful presentation, if they rehearsed it, Mm -hmm. they could have done it even better. You know,
0: I think I think you're right. But there is a stage where you get to where you go too far, I think. Yeah, you see this in competitive public speaking quite often that you get to a stage where A, you feel like the life has been taken out of it for you. You don't have that same nervousness and drive that you would have if it was slightly less rehearsed. And also, it can come across sometimes as like amateur theatrical, because everything you say is so deliberate that it just feels a bit awkward. Uh, the phenomenon's called the uncanny valley, where you there's a, a graph where it will get better correlating to how much work you put into it. But then there's a massive dip. And to get to the to where it's actually better, you need to put in so many resources, so much time, you need to be trained as an actor. So you need to keep it that slightly imperfect, slightly conversational, but you're right. If people put a bit more work into structure sometimes and actually had a clear idea of what they're going to say, yeah, for sure, it would have a greater impact.
1: Yeah. And let's... Jump quickly to the virtual world. Mm-hmm. Um, that world is an interesting one, for sure. It mm-hmm. changed a lot. How are your customers dealing with the virtual world? Like, are they approaching their presentations in the same way as before? Mm-hmm. Are they saying to themselves, wait a minute, I think that's a, it's a presentation. But, uh, you know, it's a different format now. Or at least it seems like a different format. Like, what do you see with the people around you?
0: It's uh, changed a lot since last year summer last spring when we when we first met actually was around this time and at first it was completely crazy no one knew what was going on and people i feel were waiting for it to go back to normal now we're talking about the new normal and things are going to be online and we're still not a stage i think where people know how to give virtual presentations effectively but the drive is is there. Um, unfortunately, I think the world's fallen into some, some bad habits with virtual presenting. So your average virtual presentation starts with, uh, just let me load up the slides and then just see where it is. They're looking through their folders and their files. There's this awkward, like two minute wait as they're looking for the presentation. Then the little swirly rainbow ball comes up and then you, before you know it, I've completely lost interest. So. What I think we need is to develop a more dynamic and fluid way of presenting. So I'm a big fan of getting people to master the camera first uh, more than having more slides. Yeah, for sure, slides are are really valuable in some cases, but virtual presenting has made people rely upon them even more than face-to-face presenting did.
1: Yeah, and at the same time, when they rely on them more, but they're still not that well done, Mm -hmm. it's getting worse.
0: Yeah. So you get the huge paragraph of text and then the people start talking about something completely different and you're trying to read the paragraph and you don't know what they're saying and you don't draw anything away from it. So knowing how to use slides is actually quite an advanced part of presenting is building and using visual aids, I think. And that yeah. would not be the first thing I taught people.
1: Yeah. By the way, there, you saying that I remember many, many times where during rehearsals with our customers, they first Mm -hmm. rehearse without slides and at some point they get really good at it. And then when they try to add slides to the, to the game, Mm -hmm. it's like, it, it surprises them how hard it actually is. It's not as easy as they believe it is because it's just that one additional layer that you like, just one of those things that now you have one more thing to think about. Right. Exactly. So it's not as easy as it seems. And all of those performances, by the way, I recently heard. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. You probably have heard similar stuff. But we got a customer. It was like three months ago, maybe, who said, "You know what? I think that Steve Jobs was a great speaker." Mm-hmm. Right. He was, he started more or less with that. But he said, "You know what? His slides were nothing special." And I was like, <laughs> "Why do you think so?" And they're like, "Well, there is almost nothing on his slides." They're so simple and it's not, they're nothing special. And I'm like, yeah, but you know how hard it is to come up with something like this and how hard it is to actually synchronize yourself with those slides so that it seems so well done and seamless, right? And many people look at those presentations and they see that they more or less look at me at Kobe Bryant back then when he was playing and he was like making the game look easy, you know? Mm As as a professional basketball player, he makes makes it look easy. And then you go to the court and you're like, you try to emulate this. And you're like, wow, (laughs) I cannot even uh, hit the rink. That's interesting.
0: It's a a good point about Steve Jobs and the effortlessness that he has. I find sometimes you watch his presentations and you think, actually, I don't know if this is body language that's strong or is slides that beautiful? But then what you find is that everything is congruent with the message that he is trying to get across. When he has weak body language, it is because he is trying to show us a position of weakness from which they will come out. And if he's showing a simple slide, it's because he wants us to see simplicity. It It's not so much the individual elements on their own, it's how they are brought together. That is the mastery like you say kobe bryant does on the basketball court you know we could probably all learn the individual bits but putting it together that takes um, a bit of genius and a lot of practice
1: yeah quite a lot of practice i would say i <laughs> mean he had like
0: he had 30 years didn't he so yeah he had time
1: <laughs> yeah absolutely so just before we wrap this episode up there is one more topic that Uh, We were chatting about related to storytelling and stories and including stories. Why is, in your opinion, storytelling and why are stories important for people to include in their presentations? Like, why should they do that? Like, let's let's go there for a second.
0: I think this um, can be answered with a question. Mm. Have you ever had something described to you that sounded like complete gobbledygook? He's like, what the hell are they talking about? And then he said, can you give me an example? And then they gave the example and it was all clearer. That mm. is one of the great strengths of a story is that it's a tangible thing. It happened to someone. And you are speaking to that person. You can imagine yourself doing it. Therefore, it's so much easier to understand than abstract words or numbers or even analysis. So it gives a tangible layer that's easier to understand and You could also use it to elicit emotions, because I'm sure this is something which has been spoken about a lot in this podcast as well, even. But stories have been told and listened to by humans for about 150,000 years, whereas the rational part of our brain has only been fully developed for about 50 years. So sorry, 50 years, 50, 40,000 years. Sorry, 50 years. Um, 1960 was a good year. (laughs) No. (laughs) No. Uh, 40,000 years. So roughly three times as long we've been telling stories, which means they have this capacity to tap into our subconscious. So they, if deployed correctly, if the story is relevant to the topic you're talking about, as well as the people you're talking to, uh, they can be hugely powerful.
1: Yeah, well said. Relevant to the topic and to the people. Not yeah. just any story, no. that's relevant to the topic and to the people. That is a big one. And sometimes it's, hard to come up like it's when you try you started with hey try to put yourself in the shoes of that person Mm -hmm. but sometimes even by the way even for me sometimes i was like i spend a lot of time especially for some important talks and i'm like okay let me like let me spend quite some time trying to figure out like what's in their life. And I do crazy things trying to figure out, okay, I'll, I'll try and imagine that I'm ghosting this person, you know, (laughs) like I wake up next to them. I look around them. I'm constantly behind or somewhere around them looking throughout their whole day. What are they seeing? How are they experiencing it? And even though you can do something like this, you. It's hard to empathize completely, you know, like sometimes you want to do them the most. And sometimes even the people that are listening are like, I have done this. I try to understand them and I still didn't figure it out completely. Right. It's not as easy, but at least it's, it's so much worth trying. Right. It's so much worth trying. Yeah. I mean, you were about to say something, I think, but anyway.
0: I was just about to compliment your sort of sting every breath you take. Deep dive into the lives of others. I was this great. is only I for the important the
1: presentations, right? I always say, hey, this is just for the important ones. Don't spend that amount of time. I also don't spend that amount of time on any presentation yeah. that I did on every presentation. It doesn't make sense. Yeah, but,
0: you wouldn't have time. Like,
1: yeah, but when no, the stakes are super high, then it makes sense.
0: But yeah, unfortunately, to get to the stage where the stakes are super high, usually you're so busy doing other stuff, you haven't got so much time to prepare your presentation. That's the catch-22 of it. So you need a way to tap into it. Uh, One thing I'll say which will work universally in this case is about stories. The worst time to be looking for one is when you need a story. So if you can develop a habit of writing down and collecting stories in your everyday life and spending five minutes on this every couple of days, you'll have a bank of stories and you'll be able to draw from that easily.
1: Yeah, completely agree. Have a, something like a journal, or mm. I use OneNote, for example. People use Evernote. Some mm-hmm. i'm writing a notebook like that is that is in invi- like that is the advice. Like collect those stories. Like that is yeah, completely, completely. Agree. Question here on on other great people in the industry or other great business professionals that for some reason made an impression on you with their presentation skills or with something that is connected to our world, the world of presentations, who are the, like, if you have to name one person that made an impression on you for some reason related to presentations, except for Gary, obviously, even though I, by the way, spoke with him once, which was super cool. (laughs) cool. Um, What, who is going to be that person that we need to invite on our podcast? What do you say? Like, do you have some, somebody? I think
0: what I find really amazing is the way David J.P. Phillips, is talking at your event.
1: Yeah. Actually, uh, he was, in, was on the yeah. podcast. You need to figure out someone else. He's been on the podcast, has he? Yesterday.
0: <laughs> he, was, he was on yesterday.
1: Okay, cool. Yes. Oh, Go like father, man. Another Thank try. You. Go ahead again.
0: <laughs> but just to say respect to him to the way that he managed to make public speaking accessible to a YouTube audience. That was... Not many people are doing it as, as well, as, as, well yeah. as he is. I agree. When I'm thinking about The kind of people who are getting a lot of impact and that's going to be online at the moment. I'm not seeing that coming from the public speaking world. I'm seeing it coming more from the social media marketing space and from the sales space. There's a guy called Justin Walsh who does a lot of work on LinkedIn and he's got a wonderful way of talking to his audience. He does relatively few videos actually, but He's able to deliver messages that are very on point and with that has accelerated uh, his following on that platform really, really quickly. Um, I'm also a big fan of Shea Robottom and the guy who works for her company. I can't remember, but I know he used to be a WWF wrestler or something like that. Uh, Crazy, uh, Crazy, crazy dude. And he's got this cool way of talking about LinkedIn, which let's face it, is like the flip phone of social media. Like it's actually like the uncool space, but he's given it a very definite vibe. He's embraced who he is and the kind of look he has and he's applied it to a business audience. And I think that is amazing. His name is Jonathan. I need to I need to I need to double check his name.
1: The only the only person that are those the wrestlers, you mean or not? Yeah, exactly. Apparently, he did that with Johnson for some oh, no. reason that I know that was a wrestler is the, this guy. I think his name was John Cena. <laughs> for some reason, that's the only name that pops up in my head when I hear John, when I hear uh, wrestling.
0: Well, you don't think of The Rock?
1: Oh, <laughs> uh, I forgot that he was part of that part.
0: Dwayne the Rock Johnson, huh? Dwayne yeah. the President.
1: <laughs> mm, sure. No, really. Let's not include pol- political views on this podcast <laughs> for now. <laughs> Yeah. Okay. These are I mean, I will definitely look up Justin Walsh, as you said, right? Do I pronounce yeah, and, him right? And Jonathan right?
0: Jonathan Palmer. Oh, Palmer right. spelled with an A. B A L M A
1: R. Okay, that's the wrestler. And Justin Welsh, sorry, not Walsh. Yeah, all right. All right. So clear. I'll try to get one of those guys, one of those people on the podcast. I know it will be super hard, especially I think for the first person. I feel like that would be tricky, but I mean, I'll try. Let's see what happens afterwards. So Rob, where can people find more about you? What is the best place for them to connect?
0: Best place to connect is LinkedIn. And my website is www.robdwillis.com.
1: Brilliant. I'll make sure that we link both your LinkedIn profile and the website so that people are not searching all around and wondering how was it? What, how, how can I find it, Etc. Like we'll put those in the show notes. Rob, again, like, thanks so much for joining. It's 45 minutes already, I think.
0: Yeah, it's 45 minutes, man. Time yeah. flew
1: by. Absolutely. Thanks again for joining and for everyone. Let me just recap that. Let me just remind you everything Rob's LinkedIn and his personal website where you can find what he is doing and what services and trainings he's providing will be in the show notes so you can check them out. Again, we can obviously talk about the topic of presentations for hours, right? So Mm -hmm. I always say at the end of the episode that if you have any question, please let us know on LinkedIn. And uh, if it's on as a comment as part of the podcast and where we share the podcast i'll make sure that i tag rob so that he sees it and he can also help you out in the meantime also visit 356lab.com to see what we are doing and how we can help you and your company write design and deliver truly effective presentations and as rob said the conference present to succeed that's a hell of an event go check it out present to succeed.com and if you don't have a ticket yet well fix that <laughs> 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 thanks for listening and you can and in case you found this episode useful subscribe to the podcast and why not even sir leave us a review on itunes or share it with a friend we'll appreciate it thanks again and see you in the next one bye